0: Okay, all right, so open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and you're going to be holding your spot here in Genesis chapter 1 as we flip to other places, so just keep that in mind as we work through different things. Um, So the whole goal of this lesson that I wanted to share with you guys this morning is um, I want you guys, when we're done with this, to really... um, really get a glimpse of how God sees things, how he looks at things. Um, So that way, when you look at something like something as simple as a clock or a calendar that you would think about God, I mean, that's kind of my goal, because this one is amazing. I've been thinking about this. I've been kicking this around for... Uh, several weeks as i 've talked about different areas of doctrinal studies and i 've never really done anything like this before i 've never really expounded upon like the biblical doctrine of time i 've never done anything like that before, um, nor have I known anyone to ever do that before it 's always been an element of different areas of the Bible so this is something that I think is very, very interesting um, if if you 're not nerded out by this, I apologize. Like I am, um, but it's something that causes me to really appreciate the Bible a little bit more, and it really makes me value the time that God has given me a little bit more. So that's kind of my goal. Is I want you guys to really feel that way. I want you to be thinking that way, and I want you to be able to look at just anytime you see a clock, anytime that you see uh, the sun moving through the sky, anytime that you see the solar system, anytime that you see anything dealing with time, that you always think about God and how amazing God is. So that's kind of my goal. All right, so we're going to talk about time. All right, so the first thing, and there's many things we're going to talk about, um, and we're going to, it's all going to really connect together, and some of it's going to overlap a little bit, but the first thing that I want to talk about is that God created time, and it always testifies of him. Now, what do I mean by God created time? What do I mean by that? He made it. it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (coughs) So there's a difference between creating and making something, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. There's a huge difference. Creating something means it didn't exist before. Making it means you take things that already exist and you turn it into something. So, by the way, that's huge in the Bible. Just as a little nougat you can chew on a little bit later. All right. So what do we mean by God created time? Like, how do we measure time? Was well, the knowledge? Was the knowledge? There's several. Yeah, so the sun? Yes. there's a before and there's a now. Just yeah, 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 there's that whole aspect. I mean, in numbers. Yes, numbers, yeah. <laughs> like, how do we figure this out? Like, from, the, from like, how did this even start? God popped a thought in the dude's head. <laughs> <laughs> or God had this thing called creation that man began to observe. And as they observed it, they noticed, huh, this all happens the same every day. And they start thinking about it. So God created this thing called time. I don't know if you've ever thought about this if you've never thought about it, welcome. Uh, this is your first time thinking about it. but these sorts of things just just they roll around in my mind i I tend to be a deep thinker about things. And and I go back and I'm like, why are things the way they are? I, so I know that's weird, and sometimes there are philosophers and there's other people who are like, I don't care about thinking like that. All right, whatever. But the reason why I think about that is it makes me appreciate God a lot more because there is a design and there's an intent to everything. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is that God created time and it always testifies of him. All right, so Genesis 1. So first of all, before we even get to verse 14, just take a look at verse Uh, 4 and 5. So, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and the darkness he called day, and notice day is capitalized there, and the darkness he called night, and notice night is capitalized there, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So God created this whole concept of a day, but here's the issue. God did not create the things that we use to measure time until verse 14, Like this one's a you know huge light bulb for me. He didn't do any of like, like he calls it a day, in verse eight he calls it the second day, In verse thirteen he calls it the third day. But then on verse fourteen he says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So after day one, day two, day three, God creates the things in the universe that start to measure time. So you could effectively say that God did not create the concept of time until he created the things that we use to measure time. Although he did create the concept of days prior. So the way that I see this working out is that God knew what a day would be and he knew how he was going to measure time. And so then he effectively, day one, day two, day three, were 24-hour days. But it wasn't until day four that he created the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything that would be used to measure time. Okay? Now, is that crazy? Maybe for some of you, that's crazy. Okay, all right. So... That's how God created it. Now, according to Romans one twenty, someone turn to Romans one we We'll get three readers. Romans one twenty, you got that one. Noah, go ahead and take Amos 5.8, and everybody else go to 2 Corinthians 4. We'll use two readers. And hold your spot in Genesis 1 because we're coming back there. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <laughs> Alright, second Corinthians chapter four for everybody else. And then we got Romans one twenty and then Amos five eight. So listen carefully to Romans one twenty. <laughs> for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without his feet. Okay. So based on that verse, what does that tell you about God? He created everything. Yes, he created everything and <clears throat> You can see him through his creation. Absolutely. The thing is that you make testify of who you are. How many of you are horrible at art? Okay. Your work in art testifies of how horrible you are at it, right? (laughs) Okay. All right. And likewise for anything else that you're terrible at and likewise for everything else that you're really, really good at. It testifies of you. Thankfully, God is really good at creation (laughs) because it testifies of how how great he is at it. All right. All right. So everything that you see testifies of who God is. So when God created the day and the night, and He created time, it always testifies of Him. Listen to Amos five eight. I love this verse. Seek Him that maketh the seven stars and a and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with the night. That calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is His name. Okay. So God is the author of all these things, and what I love about that verse is seek Him that made the stars, that turns the day into night, and night into day, that calls the waters, all that. Seek him because he's the one that made everything. So many people are searching for a purpose in this life, but they're going to the wrong places and to the wrong people. They are. Why would you go to anything else to find out who you are and what you were made to do other than God himself? It just boggles my mind the more that I think about it. Every time I have done that in my life, I am an idiot. I'm an idiot. It never turns out well. And so it testifies of God. Now look at 2 Corinthians 4, and I love this. This is another evidence that God uses his creation to testify of him. So in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says, In whom the God of this world, talking about the gospel, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So right there, what occurs in Genesis 1, 3, and also in verse 14, is a testimony of the gospel. So every time the sun rises, every time you look at the sun, it is a picture of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Because the night turned into day. And that is what happens in our life. God did that for a reason. So when he created this thing called time and he had the day and the night, he took those things and he's using it as a painting of the picture of the gospel. That is absolutely amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And yet every day we just, the sun rises, the darkness turns into day, and we just kind of take it for granted when God's like screaming his story to us every single day. And we just don't pay attention. There are so many things that happen in our life that we just don't pay attention to, that you would learn so many things from if you just stop for a moment and just pay attention and think and talk to God about it. It's absolutely fascinating. All right, so God created time and always testifies of him. And just some examples that we can't really delve into. um, You've got seven days. So there's seven days of creation, and God rested on the seventh day, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, But there's 12 months within a year, 12 months, so 12 is huge, there's 24 hours within a day. Uh, there's 360 lunar days within a year. And that's what the Jews used for their calendar is they used lunar days. And then you have 70 weeks. That's in the Bible. 70 weeks. We, we just talked about that. Where does that pop up? In Daniel. In Daniel with the 70-week prophecy, which are 70 periods of seven years. Called weeks in the Bible. That's huge. There's a seven-year tribulation. That's the last week of the 70-week prophecy in Daniel. When that's split in half in Revelation, there's passages that talk talk about three and a half years. That's because that seven-year period is split in half. And so all these things God created and all of them testify about God. And so then this steps on a little bit of biblical numerology, which we don't have time to go through all this, but this is something in the Bible that you can look up later. So when you see how numbers are used in the Bible, You can see that they overwhelmingly represent these particular topics. So when you see one in the Bible, that represents unity. Two is obviously division. Three is the number of completion. That's why there's the Trinity. And everything in creation is patterned after three. Then you got four, which doesn't really show up in the Bible. Who knows why? I can't give you an answer. Five is the number of death. In Genesis chapter 5 is the first record of all these people's (coughs) deaths in the Bible. And Genesis 5, 5 is the record of the first person officially dying. Um, And then six, you got man, is the number of man, according to Revelation 13.8. Seven is the number of perfection. And you can see that with the seven days of creation. And you can see that in the book of Revelation, where God caps off human history at 7,000 years. And then you have eight, that's the number of new beginnings, because it comes after seven, because you can't get any better than seven, so you start over with eight. And that's why males were circumcised on the eighth day, on the eighth day after they were born. And just ironically, ironically, ironically... There isn't a greater time in a child's life, a male child's life, as far as the white blood cell count, in their body, so that when they're circumcised on the eighth day, it actually heals up faster. Like God just, boop, just threw that in there. I love stuff like that that God does. Nine is the number of fruit bearing. In Galatians five twenty-two and 23, there are nine different parts of the fruit of the spirit. And ironically, if you were to add two plus two plus two plus three, it gets nine. So that's 22 and 23 together. How about that? 10 is the number of the Gentiles. In Genesis 10, you have the first place where the Gentiles even show up. In Genesis and, and, and in John chapter 10, Jesus talks about how there are Gentiles he needs to bring into his fold. <coughs> 11, nowhere, nothing. And then 12 is, in, is the number for Israel. And you can see that in Genesis 12, where God called out Abraham. You can see that in Revelation 12, where God talks about Israel during the tribulation period. You got Matthew nineteen twenty eight, where God speaks specifically about Israel there too and how it relates to the number 12. And then 13 is the number of the devil and rebellion. It's interchangeable. And ironically, Genesis 13, 13. You're already in Genesis. Take a look at this. Genesis 13, 13. Look at Genesis 13, 13. 13s in the Bible are super ominous. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Quinky Dink, I think not. I think not. Revelation 13 talks all about the Antichrist. I mean, you could take 13 all the way through the Bible and you would be freaked out about all the things you'd find. You can even take the word 66, 6 and 66 throughout the Bible and you'd be freaked out at all the different things related to the Antichrist and the devil as well. All right, and then you've got the number 40, which is the uh, testing all over the Bible. You can see the number 40 is used crazily in the Bible, and it always represents testing. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. Uh, Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days. Elijah fasted for 40 days. Noah in the flood, 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts. So biblical numerology. So God sets up this thing called time and these things called numbers, and they all represent something. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. All right, second thing that we need to look at. Time has a beginning and it has an end. And so we talked about how it technically began, verse 14, when God put the things in the firmament to measure time, but it also has an end. Go to Revelation, Revelation 21, Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 22. So talking about new heaven and new earth, it says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten and the Lamb is the light thereof, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. This is why I've told you guys that when the new heaven and new earth comes, there's no more sea that divides God and his throne from the rest of creation. The entire universe is going to be pure white light. Because how else can there be no night? Right? Right now, you, what we have is you have the planet Earth seated in a dark universe with a sun as the light of the Earth. So there's day and night constantly. But there's going to come a day where there is no sun, no moon, and you have day constantly. So you have an entire universe that's filled with light because God is the light of it. Which is why First John... Chapter 1 says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Got it? Right, really cool. Love it. And then in Daniel 12, that's another one I can share with you guys later, but that's where God tells Daniel, go thy way, and there will become, there's like these end of days where he will stand in his lot at the end of days. So there's a beginning, Genesis 1, verse 14, and there's an end. And that's after Revelation chapter 20 and chapter 21 where it describes that there's going to be no need for the sun or the moon. All right, so this leads to another concept too. The material world we live in is bound by time. The material world that that we live in is bound by time. And this goes in with number four too. And so I might end up overlapping this a little bit. Reality and time are separate, but they're related. Now this one gets a little bit over your head a little bit if you're not paying attention. So hopefully you need to slap your neighbor real quick mean to slap each other maybe or yourself i guess no we're good all right okay all right so the material material world we live in is bound by time everyone's still back in genesis go to chapter eight chapter eight chapter eight So Genesis 1.14, we talked about how when God created the sun, that that began time and the things that we used to measure time. And then Genesis 8, and then look at verse 22, 22. So this is after the flood. The flood and all the waters have decreased upon the earth. And then Noah is able to come out. And he, in verse 16, says he went forth from the ark, his wife and his sons and his sons' wives, And then God ends up saying verse 21, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor because he built an altar. Noah built an altar to the Lord. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I smite, again smite, any more living thing, every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So while the earth remains, you can see this verse specifically talks about how everything is bound by this day and night concept. Okay? Now, you got that. Go over to Revelation again. We're going to be doing a lot of Revelation Genesis type jumping, by the way. Revelation 20. should have told you to hold your spot in Revelation. Please forgive me. All right, Revelation 20. Okay, so let me give you the picture real quick. So you've got Revelation 20. You've got the seven-year tribulation. Antichrist has his way with the earth and everything about it, all right? At the end of the seven-year tribulation, who comes back? Jesus, come on. This is like, like the normal Sunday school answer. So who comes back? Yeah. Yay! Jesus. He comes back, okay? So when Jesus comes back, Revelation 19, he comes back on a horse and then he makes war with everyone that's on the earth and he wipes like everybody out all right and then in chapter 20 you have the angel in verse one that comes down that has the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand verse two and he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent which is the devil and satan and bound him a thousand years so human history is not over yet it's not over yet you still have those whole day and night concept going on Jesus shows up, an angel binds the devil, puts him in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years, and Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem on the throne in Jerusalem for 1,000 years. So during that time, there's still this whole day and night process. People that are alive in their fleshly bodies during this time, which is not you and I, by the way, in case you're wondering about that, unless you're not saved and then you somehow make it through the tribulation and then you repent, which I don't know if that's possible, but we'll just talk about that at a later point in time. So anyone that's in their fleshly bodies has the ability to procreate during the tribulation and also during the thousand-year reign. So if you make it through the tribulation and you are not slaughtered by Jesus Christ because you, you were part of the rebellion, you are now allowed into that whole kingdom that Christ has set up. People now have the ability to procreate, have sons and daughters, and they begin to multiply, all right? And during this time... There's day and night the whole planet gets filled again. And then after the thousand years, the devil's loosed and he goes out to the four corners of the earth and he deceives all the nations again and gathers a giant rebellion against Christ. Okay. And that's exactly what it says in verse seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Pause. Pause. This blows my mind. People see Jesus. He rules the planet for 1,000 years. They see God face to face. They're able to have a relationship with Him, to be fruitful, and to have what I mean, everything you could possibly think of. Jesus Himself. And yet, the devil, when He's released, is still able to go out and deceive everybody and form this giant rebellion the numbers whom is the sand of the sea against christ so let me just ask you who do you think is the problem god or us we're the problem i mean for crying out loud how many times have you had conversations with people well if god showed up and talked to me personally i would believe him (laughs) bull i call bull it's not true, it's not true because of what we see here. sin nature in a man and a woman is so destructive and so deceitful, it is so deceitful, so he gathers them together, and then in verse nine, and they went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints the whole Jerusalem it is surrounded and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. so the moment I mean I picture this giant rebellion, and they're all like Rah! and God's like. And then the devil's standing there. Um, And then it's verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. All right? So that's the context. Now take a look at verse 11. This is the first I wanted to focus on. So after all that's over, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them see what happens in this moment is that you have the final rebellion boom like it's all they're all gone the devil is then thrown into the lake of fire and then all of a sudden god almost takes like this giant curtain called reality and just goes and just throws it aside great white throne everybody is standing there everybody from hell as you read further hell everyone from hell is called out and now they're standing before god the creatures in the great deep are called out and now they're standing before God. All the angels, all of us, all of us are standing there. Everyone that has ever lived is now standing before the great white throne of God and there's no place for them to go. There's no heaven, there's no earth, there's no sun, there's no moon, there's no stars, there's no planets, there's no universe, there's nothing, just God. Now what happens in how God takes that curtain and goes, whoosh, let me show you this. Go to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 9. One of my favorites. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as the thief in the night, in the which... So in a moment, Hebrews 1 talks about how everything that God has created is held together by the word of his power. There will come a day where God stops speaking that word. And all the elements, all the elements, which are made up of atoms, shall just fall apart. Now, if you have an atom and it just falls apart, what happens? Kaboom. Kaboom. (laughs) Yes, kaboom. Giant bomb going off. Imagine... All of existence, because everything's made up of atoms. Everything. All the stars, all the planets, all the galaxies, everything is all made up of atoms. And there comes a moment where God stops speaking the word to hold everything in existence and just goes, I'm done. It's gone. Except for you and me. Except for you and me. That's it. All of reality, everything is now gone. And this is why I brought in this next point. Reality and time are separate, but related. Because think about it. Before God even created time, you had so many things going on prior to that. You had the fall of Lucifer. You had his kingdom that existed during that time. And then God wiped and judged that whole kingdom. And then in Genesis 1-2, he began to create the Adam and Eve story that we're so accustomed to from Sunday school. But in verse 14, he, he creates the thing that we measure time by. So there's this reality that exists prior to time and then God set up this thing called time and it measures it all the way through 6,000 years of human history and then you have the last 1,000 years which is the reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth and then once that's over, boom, everything is gone. That reality, that time, everything is now gone and yet we still exist. There's going to be a new reality. These sorts of things, I love stuff like this because you know what it does? It makes this actually means something we're so used to church and how things are and we're so used to the the wonderful bible stories of samson and delilah and everybody you know what i mean like come on this stuff is real this stuff is real and it matters it matters a ton in your life and in my life and i'm amazed i when i get into stuff like this it is not hard for me to get in my bible It is not hard for me to read my Bible. It is not hard for me to minister God's Bible to people. It's not, because it is an amazing book. It's the most amazing book that I've ever seen. And now when I do stuff like this, I mentioned to you at the beginning, when I look at a clock, even though I know that I only have like five minutes left, and I look at my watch and I look at my phone, like I look at stuff like this and I think of God. I think of the things of God. I think about the Bible. And then it helps me in my entirety of my life, everything in my life. It helps me. So reality and time are separate, but they are related. All right, let's kick off these last few things. All right, so number five, backside of your paper. God controls time as he desires to fulfill his plans and purposes. We don't have time to look at all of these. Um, Let me see if I can pick the right one. All right, let's go go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And then I'm going to turn to Revelation 14 because I want you to hear this passage. So go to Matthew 24. So there is examples in the scriptures where God stops time. He moves it forward. He moves it back. He pauses it. One great example is Daniel's 70th week, right? That hasn't happened yet. So he had these 69 periods of seven years. And then all of a sudden God's like, all right, I'm done counting. I'm done counting for a certain period of time, and I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to start again, but I will tell you when it will start, the events. I'm just not going to tell you how long this gap's going to be. This gap that we call the church age and the times of the Gentiles. It's huge, huge. And so, Matthew 24, 22. Someone read that one. Matthew 24, 22. Go ahead, Don. And except those days should be short, shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Okay, there's all people that are boggled by this verse. So, the context is the tribulation. And God says, except those days should be shortened, no one's going to survive. Now, when God said that, that wasn't some sort of a devotional application. Like, he meant it. He meant it. Because listen to this. In Revelation 14, there's two passages I want to read. 14, it says this. Um, You have, uh, actually, no, I'm going to do chapter 8 instead. Let's do chapter 8. So Revelation chapter 8, listen to this. Verse 12, it says this. It says, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So God literally cut the days in a third. Like, he shortened it by a third. So how long are there days? 24 hours. If he, like, (laughs) cut off a third... 16-hour days. 16-hour days. During the tribulation at a certain point, he's going to cut the days into just 16-hour days. Can you imagine how it's going to throw everybody off? Like we're so used to a 24-hour cycle and it's not going to be that way. Eight hours of daytime, eight hours of nighttime. What? So people are sleeping less? I mean, everything is going to change. But he said in Matthew 24, except those days should be shortened, no one's going to survive. So that's actually God being very gracious and merciful towards all of humanity on the earth. Because he didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that. So that way people could actually live through the tribulation. So he can do whatever he wants. So you just, I mean, this is crazy to me. You have 6,000 years of human history, and all of a sudden during the tribulation, God's like, "Mm, you know what, I'm going to change how day and night works. (laughs) I'm going to stop, you know, this whole 24-hour day cycle. No, let's just cut it down. I don't know how he's gonna cut it down. He just says that he smites the sun and the moon and everything, the day and the night and everything. So does that mean that somehow, because of the earthquakes that are on the earth, that it's gonna be pulled off of its axis or something's gonna happen in the sun that causes the gravitational pull just to move the earth a little bit closer so that way it's closer to the sun. But yet the sun needs to be smitten because it can't be that hot because if you move the earth closer to the sun, then everything's gonna burn up. So the sun has to be less hot. I mean, you start going into stuff like this, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. All right, enough of my nonsense. Okay, all right. Number six. Number six. Time on Earth is the standard for the entire universe. Now this is crazy. Go to Second Peter three eight. We're going to end here. Second Peter three eight. We're going to end on this passage because it really ties into number seven of understanding Second Peter three eight. So time on Earth is the standard for the entire universe. Now this blows my mind because of a scientific uh, theory. Um, I think it's. I don't know if it's a theory or if it's a law now, but. Um, It's the theory of relativity. Okay? Anyone understand the theory of relativity? (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) Very minor parts of it. (laughs) Very minor parts of it. (laughs) Or simplified. Somebody explain it to me. Kent, you want to take a shot? Well, the faster you are moving, the difference time moves differently around you. The faster you're moving. So if you're moving really fast to you a day, it will be like a thousand years to people who are not moving as fast as you. Right. The faster you get to the speed. Right, so everybody on the planet of Earth moves at a certain speed, and that speed for us is 24-hour days, right? You got the day and the night, everything that we know of. If you were to move to Mars, time would be different, right? It would. If you were to move to Pluto, time would be different. It would be completely different. People would age differently. Everything. Everything would be completely different. So depending on where you are at in the universe, time changes. It's the theory of relativity, okay? Okay. Now, what's amazing to me about this is that God chose to use the time standard upon the earth for the entire universe. I think that's fascinating. I love that. I love that. And he got, what, Carl Sagan that says that we're this this little blue dot in the midst of darkness that means nothing. You kidding me? Are you kidding me? god according to the bible has is using planet earth in the way that we measure time for the standard of the entire universe you tell me that the earth is not important the earth is super important the earth is super important it's so important it is so important it was the capital of the universe prior to adam and eve And it will be the capital of the universe after when God remakes the heaven and earth, earth and God's throne. We talked about this just not that long ago. God says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. That means that his throne and the earth are gonna be in close proximity one with another again once God deals with sin once and for all and he makes everything again. You tell me that the earth is not important. You tell me that people are not important, that people are not significant. People are majorly significant, huge, huge way undervalued according to our standards today you think that you can't do anything or that you have no potential that is the biggest lie that i have ever heard in my entire life and i need a bible to open up my eyes and get me to understand that you are extremely valuable to god's plan this earth is extremely valuable and to think that we are so cocky that we think we can destroy this planet are you kidding me that is a bunch of baloney. I had to have a talk with Lily about that this past week because in elementary school they're spoon feeding her things like deforestation and all these global nonsense issues that aren't even true. You think that we are so you are that we are so arrogant that we have the ability and the power to destroy the planet? Do you really think that? Absolutely not. You know what Revelation says? That God uses the planet to destroy man. He did it with Noah. He's going to do it again. We don't have the ability to destroy this planet. God won't let us. He won't. He'll wipe you out faster than you wipe out this earth. So think about that for a little bit. This kind of stuff changes everything. Everything. It changes everything. All right, 2 Peter 3.8. Let's understand this. This is one of the most important verses in your Bible in relation to God's timeline. It says this, But beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing. I love it when God does this. It calls it out like neon lights. Be not ignorant of this one thing. Be ignorant about a whole bunch of other things, but don't be ignorant about this. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, this definitely means that God is outside of time. He is not affected by time, and that makes sense because he created it. How can he be affected by it when he created it? He is always outside of time. But what I love about this is that he gives you this whole concept of seven days of creation gives you 7,000 years of human history. And so if you were to take this thought and run it through the Bible, you would get what Clarence Larkin got back in the early 1900s. And he knew this, and he was smarter than most Christians are today. And I wanted to give you a snippet of that on your guys' study sheet. So if you were to measure from Eden to Enoch, you got 1,000 years. From Enoch to Abraham, you got another 1,000 years. From Abraham to Solomon, another 1,000. To Christ, to the Dark Ages, to the Antichrist, to the, the, when Satan is bound, the new heaven and new earth, everything measures out exactly. Now, what people often freak out about is like it says up at the top part of that um, chart where it says that Christ would come back in the year 2000. Obviously that didn't happen. But you know our calendars are off for a reason. They're majorly... Just go back and research when calendars came into being be and the whole concept of the Gregorian calendar and how people measured things. Crazy. Crazy. It's completely off. I firmly believe that there are 7,000 years of human history. Now, Larkin, putting 2,000, that was the best that he could do based on his knowledge at the time. But I believe that things are, have been completely way, way, just taken way off. Because think about it. The Gregorian calendar, who invented that? Gregor. What up? Gregor. Gregor, which is from what nation? Rome. Catholic Church. I may be a conspiracy nut. You might call me that. Whatever. But I know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, Revelation 17, other places in Revelation, the devil, Antichrist, they're in bed with the Roman Catholic Church. And I am not surprised that the Roman Catholic Church were the ones that messed up our calendar. Just saying. I'll just throw that out there. Extra credit. All right. So I hope this helps you because each of us, each of us have 1,440 minutes within a given day. And God has given them to you as a gift and we need to use them wisely. And so every time you look at a clock, every time you look at your watch, every time you look at your phone, you need to be thinking about this kind of stuff. It will change your life. It will change your life. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this lesson. I pray, God, that we would see things from your perspective and that we would think differently. Um, Help us this week to get into our Bible and to appreciate it and to understand how amazing this book is. So God... um, Just be with us as we get into the main service, and I pray that we would just humble ourselves and learn the things you want us to learn, that we may go and do the things you want us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.